everybody. I just want to apologize. There is about 10 minutes of this sermon that is missing in the middle. Uh, we had some technical difficulties, and actually the whole computer just shut down uh, in the middle of the sermon. So when you come to it, you'll notice there's a big awkward gap. Um, I guess just fill in the blanks and enjoy what bit of sermon is actually there. Sorry about that, and hopefully it won't happen again. So when Tiffany and I were, were just dating about 10 years ago, there was this moment we were just having this conversation. And then the next thing that happens is she is just like looking deeply into my eyes. And like, I've seen enough movies. I'm like, something really romantic is about to happen here. And like, she's just looking me in the eyes and just staring at me. And I'm just excited. I'm waiting for this moment. And, and she looks at me and she says, how do you get your eyes so white? And I'm like, not exactly what I was expecting here. And so I just told her, well, clearly I washed them out in the shower, like, duh. And like, I was just joking, no big deal. We just kind of go on through the conversation. And a couple of weeks later, she comes up to me and she's just got that look like, like looking at me, like trying to show me her eyes. And I'm like, yeah. And then she asked me the question. I was like, so do my eyes look any whiter? I'm like, I don't know. Why? She's like, well, I've been washing them out in the shower like you told me to. And I'm like, Yeah. In that moment, I remember, it was like, yeah, this was just a joke. I really don't wash my eyes out in the shower. And she goes on to explain the pain of holding your eyeball open and letting the water, like, hit your eyes. And I'm just like, yeah, the, the real reason my eyes are white is I have good allergy medicine. I sleep well, and I don't have a lot of stress. Like, and here's the thing, like, I... I guess I did have white eyes, but you know, there was nothing really miraculous that was happening to have my eyes white. Like, I just got some sleep, it's fine. But, but she, was, she was looking for a mystery to be revealed. Like, what is it that's making my eyes white? She wanted me to reveal this great mystery, and the reality, there really wasn't, there really wasn't a great mystery. It just kind of happened naturally. It's just the way that it was. And so this is what we're looking at, not how to get our eyes white, but this is what we're looking at this week. We're looking at this great mystery that Paul has revealed for us in the book of Ephesians. Three different times Paul has told us this is a great mystery or, or this is a mysterious thing that has been revealed. And so in chapter 1 and chapter 3 and chapter 5, Paul is making it known that this is a great mystery. This is the mystery that has been revealed. Every one of these mysteries show that everything is united under the lordship of King Jesus. And so if you were with us, uh, have you been with us at all? Like, this is how we're describing mystery. And just so you know, through this series is mystery is something once hidden, but now revealed in Christ. Like, that is what we're looking at, and that is what we are seeing. And today's mystery that's going to be revealed for us is, is in chapter 5 of Ephesians, picking up in verse 21. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip there with us. It's going to be up on the screen as well. You can follow along on the screen. We're going to start uh, verse 21. It says this, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. For the husband, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. 
In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but he feeds it and takes care of it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man will leave his father and mother, and they are joined in his, and he is joined to his wife, and the two become, are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So here's what we're seeing, is this is a great mystery. We see that in verse, verse 32. And as we're reading through this, like, this is like oftentimes a, a passage that is read at a wedding ceremony. Like, maybe you're familiar with this and been to weddings or part of a marriage ceremony. And it's, this passage is really about love. And so I was thinking about love this week, and I was just, I thought of some, some pickup lines. So for our single friends in the room, um, if you want to get, a, a, get some paper and jot these down, here's a few things for you to help you so that you can have this read at your wedding. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. Are you a magician? Because when I look at you, everything else disappears. Are you religious? Because you are the answer to all my prayers. Yeah. Do you believe in love at first sight? Or should I walk by again? Here's another one. Is, is your name Google? Because you're the answer to all of my questions. You're everything I've been looking for. And here, here's the last one. Somebody sneezes. And you would say, well, I would say God bless you, but clearly he already has. So um, guys, ladies, there you go. If you get a drink thrown in your face, do not blame me. Use these at your own risk, okay? So these are, I, I'm, I'm all about the cheese, okay? I love cheesy, all right? So I decided, you know what? Let's look a little better than just these cheesy pickup lines. This week I was reading an article about the top 10 most romantic quotes in movies, and so maybe you're thinking some of these are, you know, the very, uh, almost unanimously, like the person, the number one quote was from the movie Jerry Maguire, where Tom Cruise's character looks at his wife and says, you complete me. And then she like cuts him off and is like, no, 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 stop. You had me at hello. It's like, that is so romantic, right? Like, it's, it's so sweet. Or, or like from the movie When Harry Met Sally. When you realize that you want to spend your life with someone, you want, right, you want your rest of your life to start right now, like, it's so romantic. Maybe you've seen the movie The Fault in Our Stars or read the book, It Would Be a Privilege to Have My Heart Broken by You. Like, it's so sweet, right? Or like from, from the vow, I, the, the wedding vows that they exchange, I, I vow to furiously love you in all of your forms, now and forever. I promise to never forget that this is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of love. Like, how romantic is that, right? Maybe my personal favorite is from the movie Sweet Home Alabama. Like, I, I love Reese Witherspoon movies. Like, this is a guilty pleasure of mine. But, like, Reese Witherspoon looks at Jake and it's like, you were the first boy I ever kissed, Jake, and I want you to be the last. It's like, that's so sweet. And then the movie starts and it ends with the same line. It's like, why do you want to marry me anyway? And maybe you know how it, how it ends. like, so I can kiss you any time that I want. Like you got, you, know, you can say it, but you've got to break out the country accent, okay? Like this is what you have to. I can kiss you any time that I want. Like that's that's what we're seeing. Like so, it's romantic. 
And I just have to admit, maybe you've already caught on to this. I'm a little bit of a helpless romantic. Like I, I'm the guy at a wedding that's looking at the groom when the bride walks down because I want to see the, the look on his face. Like when he gets teary-eyed, I'm not getting teary-eyed. I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful. Like that is, that is who I am. Like a little bit of an emotional romantic. It's, it's fine, I hope. Like, it's, 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 like I 100% endorse Terry Cruz's statement on Brooklyn Nine-Nine that Terry loves love. Like that is me. That is who I am. And so that's what this passage is really, really about. Not about Terry Jeffers, but this passage is about, it's about love. How do we love each other correctly? How do we, as a body of believers, how do we embody the love that our leader Jesus showed for us? How do we love in a way that brings glory to Christ? How do we love in a way that represents the way that Christ loves the church? That's what we're seeing. And here's the great mystery. In verse 31, as the scriptures say, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined with his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So here's what we're seeing here, is the mystery of the union of Christ and the church is revealed in the context of marriage. This is what we see playing out, is the mystery of of Christ and the church, the the way that church and Christ have come under the unity, under the authority of King Jesus, is illustrated for us in the context of marriage. And here's the thing, like I've had conversations with people when we've talked about marriage and certain people, maybe you've even said this as well, that marriage is just a piece of paper. Like sometimes we, that's kind of what we talk about, that's what we say, and I got to be real honest, if marriage is just a piece of paper then what's the point? Like, if that's all that marriage is, is just like a certificate saying this, like, then what's the point? But the thing is, marriage is so much more than just a piece of paper. It's the giving of yourself. It's the commitment that you are making. Like, we don't use that logic with anything else. Like, none of us today are going to go to university hospital and be like, hey, I'm here to apply for the doctor's position. Oh, what school did you go to? Oh, I didn't go to school. It's just a piece of paper. Like, none of us are going to do that. If a, if a surgeon comes in and is like, hey, I'm, I'm Dr. Luke, and I'm going I'm to perform your surgery. I didn't go to college. It's just a piece of paper. Don't worry about it. Like, we're not going to buy into that. We're not going to go to court with a traffic ticket and just tell the judge, it's just a piece of paper. Don't worry about it, man. Like, that's not going to fly. It's not going to work. Like, when we get a death certificate, like, for some, hopefully not, we don't get it for ourselves. But if there's a death certificate in our hands, we're not going to say, it's just a piece of paper. They're not really dead. Like, we, we don't treat it that way with anything else. And so why? Why should we treat it that way in marriage? Why should we pretend that marriage isn't a big deal? Why should we act as if marriage is just this piece of paper? If Paul is using marriage as an analogy to describe the relationship between Christ and the church, then we better take it seriously. We've got to understand what is happening in the context of marriage. What is it about marriage that is making it so powerful? What is it about marriage that makes it so important? And here's the cool thing about marriage is when we enter into marriage, we are entering into something transcendent. When we enter into marriage, this is something that is beyond ourselves. We are, we are entering into something that is so much bigger than just us. It is something that's transcendent. And we see this play out in, in Matthew chapter 19. 
In Matthew 19, the religious leaders are speaking with Jesus, and the religious leaders didn't really ever want to learn anything from Jesus. They wanted to more trap, trip, or track, trap, that's the word I'm looking for. They wanted to trap Jesus, and they wanted to trick him into saying something to get him in trouble. And so in Matthew 19, they asked Jesus, well, well Jesus, Moses says that a man can give his wife a certificate of divorce for any reason. What do you say? And really, in this point in history, there are two camps. There's the, there's the very liberal camp and the very conservative camp, not politically speaking. But there's just one side of the, the, the camp that says a man can divorce his wife for literally, if she burns the toast, pack your bags, you're leaving. Or the other side of the camp says it doesn't really matter in the context of marriage. You cannot divorce your wife. She could kill your favorite dog. Doesn't matter. Like, there, there's two camps. And Jesus has asked this question. It's like, which one is right, Jesus? And Jesus says this, he says, haven't you read the scriptures? They, ret- they, re- they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. This explains why a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer one, let no one split apart. Catch this phrase, what God has joined together. There is a transcendency in marriage. There is a, a picture of something that God has instituted, that God has ordained. In the royal wedding back in 2011, one of the priests who was up speaking, he said this line, I think it's an incredible line, he says, every wedding, a royal wedding, because they're all performed for the king. And that is, that's the truth. It's like the weddings, they are transcendent, marriage is transcendent, it's something beautiful, and it's powerful. So what is it about marriage? What is it that is revealing a mystery of of Christ and the church? What is it in this relationship, in this context of a relationship, that is showing for us what Christ and the church being united? The thing is that, are we broken again? Nope. All right. So marriage reveals the unconditional love of Christ and the church. Marriage reveals the unconditional love of Christ and the church. This is one thing. That we see. we see playing out, like the love in a marriage, a commitment regardless, no matter what, this unconditional love, like, like the vow says, I love you in all of your forms. This is what we're seeing here is we, we have a God. We have a Savior who loves us unconditionally. We have a Savior who loves us in all of our forms, good, bad, and ugly. And in marriage, there is so much mistake than just our personal marriages. So if you are married, more when you, in, going on in your marriage than just your marriage. If you are your future marriage, there is more going on than just the wedding. There's more than going on than just, there's more at stake than just your marriage. The beauty of the gospel is at stake. That's the thing, is marriage is of the gospel. And- social ladder that would have taken place. And maybe in a second, it'll pop up on the screen. We'll see. So there's this social ladder that took place. And at the very top of the ladder, the very top rung of the ladder was this guy, Caesar. Yeah, there there we go. So Caesar's at the very top of the ladder. Under Caesar is, is the Senate. This is 600 of the most powerful men in the world. Why are they powerful? Because they control all the money. The next is the equestrians. Equestrians, they make their money by buying and selling of horses. Extremely wealthy, extremely elite. The next group is the decurrents. The decurrents are just really wealthy people, not quite as wealthy as the equestrians. So look at this rung of the ladder. Up to this point is 2% of the population. The next rung of the ladder are citizens. 
Citizens, they, they had legal rights. They could vote. They could own property. The, the rung under them are called freedmen. Their name literally is what they are. They're, they're just free. They can't vote. They can't hold pop, own property. But they're free. The final rung of the ladder, what's, what's the last rung? Slaves. What does Jesus say? The greatest among you will be your, what? Your, your slave, your, your servant. This is the rung of the ladder that Jesus calls us to. And here's the thing for us to understand is like Jesus died of, of crucifixion. Jesus was crucified, right? We, we, we know that. You know slaves couldn't even be crucified? It was a dishonorable slave. And so Jesus is taking the lowest rung on the ladder that's even there. He's saying, we're going to take a step even lower than the lowest rung. And that is what he is calling us to. That is what he's calling all of us to submit, to take that role, to remove any superiority in our life, saying there is no room for that because we are all finding ourselves in the bottom rung of the ladder. We are submitting to Christ. And when the church fails to submit to Christ, it fails at its mission. When we fail as a church to give our allegiance to King Jesus, when we fail as a church to say, you know what, I'm submitting to your rule, to your lordship, when we fail there as a church, it doesn't really matter much of what else we do. Because if we are missing the point of submitting to Jesus, we're missing the point of the church. And so what, is this, what does this look like? Is anybody in this room competitive? I can't be the only one. Like, so for us competitive people in the room, what does this idea of submission look like? It's a race to the back of the line. That's what it looks like. It's saying, I'm going to be serving you. What does this look like? It's what Paul talks about in Romans 12 where he says to outdo one another in showing honor. It's like, oh, you've been really great to me. I'm going I'm to be even better to you because you've treated me well and because I love Jesus. I'm going to do this even more. This is what it looks like here. So the first word is submit. This is for for wives, for Christians, and for the church. The next word that we're going to see is the word love. Can't talk about marriage. We don't talk about love, right? So let's look at verse 25 and 28. Here's what Paul writes. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. In the same way, verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. So, the husband's role, summed up in one word, is love. Ladies in the room might be thinking, okay, we have to submit, the husband gets to love? Really? Like, that's, that seems fair. So, let's, let's go ahead and let's, let's look at this a, a little bit deeper. Once again, in the Roman world in which Paul is writing, a, a wife... She had certain obligations and certain things that she had to, to live up to as a wife. Guess what? The husband, he did not. The husband, is, he doesn't have these obligations. He doesn't have these things to follow that the wife has. And so what Jesus is setting up for us and what Paul is setting up for us is this revolutionary, radical difference of, of way of living. In that world, maybe the wife had obligations to follow, but so does the husband. Paul is saying, yeah, the husband has a way to look at this too. And so what he is saying is, is that as a husband, you love your wife as part of your body. What does that mean? You love your wife as if she is part of yourself. 
You don't treat your wife as she is property. You don't treat your wife as she is a less than. She is part of you. She is who you are. Someone who you have been united with. That is what Paul is telling us here, this idea of love. And so what we're looking at doing is we are moving from me to we. It's no longer about me anymore. It's about an us. It's about we. And we live in a world that glorifies, that, that specializes in the me, right? Just think about, think about it when you get up in the morning. When you go and take a shower, does anybody's spouses share shampoo or conditioner or anything? All right, I don't. Like, I don't want Tiffany smelling like a dude. I don't want to smell like a girl. We don't share soap. That is my soap. You don't touch it. My soap. When I go to shave, that's my razor, not yours. That's mine. That's my toothbrush. Not yours. We live in this culture. That's, uh, that's, that's my coffee. <laughs> Not yours. <laughs> Some of you think I'm joking. All right? <laughs> Here's the, like, we live in a world that's all about me. Like, just think about this. This is the world in which we live. And Paul is saying, that is not the way marriage is. It's not a me. It's a, it's a we. And so, ladies, before you think your husbands or guys are getting off easy with love, look at the, the caveat, the qualifying statement here. Husbands are to love their wife, what? As Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. This is how we are to, this is how we're to love. As husbands, we are to love, and as men, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And there's this, there's this thing that almost any preacher or teacher will, will, will attest to. Is like whenever I am teaching something, it always seems to be that thing that I am tempted with that week. If I am teaching on generosity, guess what happens when I go to Galway? I have more people ask me for money than at any other point. When I am teaching on generosity, there are random people messaging me like, hey, I need some help. Can you, can you help me out here? And it's in that moment, am I going to be generous or not? When I'm teaching on prayer... The week when I teach on prayer always seems to be the week where the time that we have carved out for prayer time in our family, it always seems to be interrupted. It always seems something else is coming up during that time. It always seems the things that that I'm teaching on seems to be the things that I'm tempted with. And this week is no different. On Friday, I was was upstairs at our office, and I was working on the sermon, and and I practiced the sermon. I get done, and I'm I'm praying through what it looks like for husbands to love their wives. I'm just like, man, I hope the people of our church, I hope the guys in our church really love their wives well after this. And then two hours later, I go home, and I'm aggravated about something that's stupid and insignificant. And Tiffany and I have this discussion, and, and I don't love my wife the way that Christ loves the church. I'm harsh. I'm rude. I I say snarky comments and hurt her feelings on purpose. And it's the very thing I remember praying, God, help me, help people in our church to love their wives. And God is saying, Luke, you love your wife the way that Christ is supposed to love the church. And so I I had to confess of that. I had to admit, I had to ask for forgiveness from my wife and from God saying, like, I didn't do this. I literally got ready to text her on the way home because I thought of another passage about this. I was getting ready to text it, but my talk text doesn't work. But the passage I was going to text Tiffany was Corinthians 3.19, where it says, Husbands, love your wife. Do not be harsh with them. I was about to send that text message, and then when I get home, and what am I doing? And so maybe this is us. This is where maybe we're struggling, we're falling in. We should never be thinking, okay, this sermon, oh, I wish someone else was here to hear this. 
Because we are all needing to hear what this looks like. We are all needing to hear this. When Jesus is our standard, guess what, guys? We're, we're going we're gonna to fail. When we're looking to, we're looking to love like Jesus loved. And this word love, this is the strongest, most powerful description of love that is given to individuals in the Bible. The only word greater than this is the agape love, the Christ-like love on the cross. Like this type of love, this is not a sexual love. This is not a family love. This is a lay down your life type of love. This is a, a giving of yourself kind of love. This is giving of yourself emotionally. Giving of yourself physically, giving of yourself spiritually. That's what this type of love looks like. Caring for the needs of your spouse above your needs of yourself. So husbands in the room, let me just talk to you, and, or soon to be husbands at some point. Let me just talk to you guys for just a minute. Ladies, you can still listen. This is important. But, but guys, I just want to talk to us for just a second. To love our families the way that Christ loves the church, part of that, what that encompasses is our spiritual leading of our family. And maybe you, maybe you remember the story in Genesis chapter 3. Like in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, everything is good in the world. God has made this great world. Everything's good. Depending on the t- how big your, your font is in your Bible, page 5, sin enters the world. And just as, as a show of hands, how many people think Eve ate the fruit first? Raise your hand. It's Eve, by the way. So, uh, so, so Eve eats the fruit. Thanks a lot, Eve. You ruin everything. And, and how, does, how does Adam defend his actions later? This woman that you gave me, if it wasn't for her, he takes it like a man. He blames his wife. Like he's, He says, if it wasn't for her, this wouldn't have happened. So Eve eats the fruit and sin enters the world. Unfortunately, Paul doesn't see it that way. In Romans chapter 5, Paul has, he says this, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone because everyone has sinned. All right, Paul, I don't know if you've read the story of Genesis chapter 3, but it wasn't Adam first. It was Eve who ate the fruit first. I mean, like, we're going to see that, right? Like, look, if you go to chapter 3, start in verse 6, look. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom that it would give her, so she took some and ate it. Mm Mm-hmm. Look at that. Then she gave some to her husband. It's Eve's first, right? Who was with her? Uh Uh-oh. Who was with her? He's right there. Satan is sitting there lying to his wife. What What does Adam do? Does nothing. Says nothing. He is sitting there tempting her to fall into sin, and she sits there, and he sits there and does absolutely nothing. He is, there's lies that are being told, and she's buying into her, and her husband's like, no, he's not saying no. That's not what God said. He's just sitting there and letting his wife fall into sin. And so maybe, just maybe, that the first sin isn't actually the eating of the fruit. Maybe the first sin is the sin of passivity, the sin where nothing is done when something needs to be said. Like, something needs to be done, something needs to be said, but the husband, he does and he says, he says nothing. And I think sometimes this is playing out in our lives. Like, we know, we know what our kids are, are who they're messaging. We know what they're sending on, on Snapchat or on Instagram. But we don't say anything. We're just, just, just passive. 
We see the behavior that's starting to change in our kids through the people that they're hanging out with. But we don't say anything. We don't do anything because it's going to be difficult. It's just a phase. Maybe we know the websites that our kids are logging on to, but we don't, we don't say anything. We don't do anything. It's just this passivity. We know that our wife needs some attention. We know that our wife needs some affection, but, but the game's on. Or I've worked really hard this week. And there's just a sin of passivity where something needs to be said and something needs to be done, but we do nothing. And I myself have fallen into this time and time again. This is what it looks like to love your spouse, to love your wife as Christ loves the church. It is not to be passive. It is to be the spiritual leader of your house. And this is something I have prayed for a long time. Like, if I can teach Ava how to walk... That's great. If I teach her how to throw Maddie's toy so she can teach it, it, that's fine. But if I do not teach her how to keep her eye on Jesus, then I have failed as a father. I can can help my wife hopefully do something better than she does. I don't know what. Like, she's pretty great. I I can try to help her be more organized or more decisive, whatever it might be. But if I do not lead her spiritually, I have failed as a husband. So this is our job, is to love our wives as Christ loved the church, not to sit back in this passivity, but to to be active in this. In in verse 33, Paul calls every single individually man to this. He says this, he says, again, I say each man. It's every single man. That is who Paul is calling to this. It's not just husbands. It's each man, he's saying, everybody should be doing this. Each man, let's try man. This is the call to submission in our relationships. It's a call to love people better than we love ourselves. That is the call. This is a call to husbands, but this is also a call for Christians in general to love people more than we love ourselves, to care for people better than we care for ourselves. And here's the thing. If our relationships, if our marriages are not God-honoring, if they are not centered on, on submission, on love, on forgiveness, on grace, they, mis- they misrepresent the gospel. They misrepresent the gospel. They misrepresent the church. They mis- misrepresent what Jesus has for us. When I was harsh with my wife on Friday, that didn't look like the gospel. That didn't look like that. And so when our relationships do not have these things in them, we don't show people what Jesus is like. And here's the thing. This word submit and this word love, like these are not emotion words. Like, because there are times when I will not feel like submitting. There may be times where I don't feel like loving. Guess what? There may be times where your spouse doesn't deserve to be loved. There may be times that your spouse doesn't deserve to be submitted to These are not emotion words. These are decision words. I am deciding to submit. I am deciding to love because our feelings are not always accurate. How we feel is not always a true indication of what is going on. Is that we choose to love these. Jeremiah says the heart is deceptive above all things. So we do not submit because someone deserves it, but because Christ does. We are submitting to our spouse because this is what it looks like in the context of marriage. This is what the gospel looks like because Jesus deserves this. Out of reverence for Christ, we are doing this. Not always, they're not always going to deserve it. 
And maybe you're catching on to this. There are times that we don't deserve it either. There are times that we don't deserve to be loved. There are times where we have done horrible things, and, and we, we have a God who, who loves us anyway. This is why it's a picture of the gospel. Because let's look at verses, verses 25 through 27. There are countless times in my life that I do not deserve to be loved, or that this is deserved to be happened. But I am loved so deeply that Jesus submitted to the cross for me. Look at verse 25 through 27. For husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And so here's what's, here's what's playing out here. Is that we come to church, this church is, is a, we come to church unclean, but through Jesus we are, can be made clean. Jesus became unclean by our sin so that we could be made clean from our sin sin. And in this passage, there's this imagery to an an Old Testament sacrifice. And so as you read through the book of Leviticus, one of the rules, one of the, the reasons for sacrifice, the animal that had to be sacrificed, whatever the animal was, there's always this statement that is made, that it has to be perfect without defect, blameless without blemish. That is what is playing out in our text here. That is what Jesus is doing and how the way he is making the church. Jesus is cleansing his bride so that it is holy and blameless. And God is setting apart for himself a people that live differently. Like, remember, this isn't the way the world lives. This isn't the way that the the husbands were called to live in that day. But in the Jesus culture... This is how we are to live. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And so he he continues this and he says, This is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. And so let me finish up here. Is the mystery that is being revealed in the book of Ephesians, the mystery that's being revealed in this chapter, is not the mystery of marriage. The mystery that is being revealed is the, the union between Christ and the church. It is a miracle that we can be united with God. That is the miracle, is that we can be made right in Christ. That's the miracle that's revealed here. And some of the reasons that we don't commit to marriage is some of the same reasons that we don't commit to Jesus because we're afraid that there's going to be change that's going to happen there. And here's the thing. I am not going to sugarcoat this. Coat this. When, you, when you get married and when you commit to Jesus, your life will change. What I've experienced in my life, it's, it's not always been easy, but it's better. It's better when we commit our lives to Jesus. He's going to flip our lives upside down, and everything will change in our lives. And it won't be easy, but it will be worth it. It will be better. In marriage, like your spouse gets to see parts of your character, parts of you. They know things about you that no one else knows. But they love you unconditionally anyway. It's a picture of the gospel. It's because Jesus knows us better than anyone. And he loves us more than anyone. Jesus knows everything about you. The very things that you wish were not true, the very things that you wish you want to keep hidden, Jesus knows those about you. 
And yet he loves you more than anyone. And there's this phrase in a wedding ceremony. It's my favorite phrase in the entire ceremony. It's from this day forward. Like it's the moment, it's like it's through the vows and then from this day forward. Regardless of the mess that you've made in your life, regardless of the mess that you have made spiritually, regardless of the mess that you have made emotionally, regardless of the mess that you have made relationally, today is the most important day. Because from this day forward is what matters. From this day forward, don't worry about the past. Don't focus back on that. From this day forward, things can be different. From this day forward, we can be submissive. We can love the way that we are called to love. From this day forward, things can be different. The great mystery that is revealed is that Christ and the church have been united. And we can all be a part of that. From this day forward, today the most important day. Let me pray for us.